We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, close to the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded All right, Panthers fans, welcome back. It's another edition of the Roar Podcast. John Ellis and Billy Marshall here to preview everything going on this week with the Panthers coming up, a big matchup at home against Minnesota. Got a special guest here from The Athletic. It's Arif Hassan. He joined us last year to talk about that matchup back up there in Minnesota. Minnesota coming to town this week. Arif, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. I have no idea what I said last time, so let's assume that everything I said happened, that you're relying (laughs) on my expertise because of how well I did. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it was spot on. I know at the end of the day, you guys got out of there with, uh, you know, one of those wins that kind of left you guys thinking, okay, we're heading somewhere now. And it left Carolina fans thinking, where the hell is this team going? It was a crazy <laughs> game. You know, interesting season so far for this team in Minnesota. A couple close wins here the last two weeks. And obviously, there's been some chatter about Zimmer being on the hot seat. Where are they with the coach right now? Is he moving forward in a pretty good standing right now with the organization? All you need to know is that they're 1-0 and in multiple score games. No. <laughs> no, you're right. There's been a lot of close games. Most of those has ended, have ended in a loss. This most recent one ended in a win, uh, which is a nice change of pace. But, of course, it was against the Lions, uh, which you always kind of have to situationally adjust for, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that all of the talk about whether or not Zimmer is on the hot seat for the moment is generated by people like me from the media. There's not really any sourcing right now to indicate that the Wilfs, the owners of the Vikings, um, have put Zimmer in a you know win or lose kind of situation where if he doesn't win, he loses his job. We don't know that. We know that that happened a couple of years ago, right before the playoff game against the Saints. Of course, Zimmer won that one. Uh, and, and Zimmer might be the best coach in history when uh, his seat is hot um, because he did a pretty good job against the Lions. Uh, up until a fumble, which is not a coaching error. So um, 
Yeah, uh, right now we don't have much of an indication. I would argue that if they don't make the playoffs this year, that Zimmer's on the outs. And I don't know what that means for the rest of the coaching staff. I don't know if they got an internal candidate. That candidate used to be Kevin Stefanski. He eventually found a head coaching job is doing pretty well for himself already. So um, the team, I think the one thing about this is that Zimmer will say that the team is fundamentally good. I've been coaching for 27 years and, you know, I know what a good team looks like and this is a good team. And, you know, for the most part, you know, Zimmer has a reputation for being a bit of a straight shooter with the media. And I think here he's kind of telling the truth. I think that there is some quality on this team. I think that the mistakes uh, in, in close games have, have more to do with variance than anything else. But there's only so many times that can happen um, before you kind of start fun, uh, questioning the fundamentals. So I, I think it's fundamentally an above average team. I don't know if above average is enough to, like, make the playoffs, but uh, there's, there's some quality there. Yeah, I mean, for me, what I've noticed, uh, the first three weeks, the offense came out and they played really well. And new offensive coordinator, obviously, Kubiak, Clint Kubiak, uh, the son of Gary, was on staff last year. Uh, but I feel like the past two weeks, I mean, I thought like the Browns defense was great, and I'm sure they are, but um, they kind of carried over like a pretty kind of lethargic offensive performance against mm-hmm. the Lions, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was a little weird. But where are you with this offense? And is it still going to be like a transition with the new coaching staff or, or excuse me, at least a new play caller? Right. Um, or should expectations be a little higher? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. As the offense has died down in effectiveness, except on the opening drive, I think they've scored four of the last four opening drives they've had. Um, as the offense has trended downward, uh, the defense is trended upward. And so it's kind of easy to to miss that sort of thing, but that's exactly kind of what's happening. So the first few weeks they were, they were extremely hot. Uh, and then after that, they kind of fell off and you'd think, you know, I, I think this is kind of something that happened with Kellen Moore and some other, I think it happened to 2015 Kyle Shanahan. Uh, sometimes with new coordinators, uh, something is working for them and they go to it. And then that gets kind of figured out and they have to adapt and the good ones end up adapting, but you know, they just kind of all get punched in the mouth. It's kind of like a, a rookie quarterback. Right. Um, I would think that that's the case, but that's not really what I'm seeing when I take a look at it because um, they've moved away. And I think kind of correctly, honestly, from the stuff that was working in the first three weeks and and what they've moved to hasn't been as effective. And honestly, I think that they needed to do that. Um, maybe not against the, the Browns. Uh, I think they tried to do some of the same stuff against the Browns. It wasn't working. The Browns just beat them up, but like against the lions, I think it was right for them to do that. And then the Lions did something that they normally never do, which is play too high. Um, and so um, the Vikings are, were a very quick strike, low play action team, you know, get the ball out of Crook's hands as quickly as possible. Let your receivers, you know, create yak. And that's not really the, the attitude that the Vikings have established over the past couple of years as a slow developing offense that has a lot of play action, looks for explosive plays. They did that against the Lions because the Lions have like the second or third worst deep passing uh, defense in the NFL. I thought that was the right move. It just didn't work out for them. But they have had longer time to throw in the past two games than in the first couple of games. And I suspect against Carolina, they'll go back to that early um, that early game plan that gets rid of the ball quickly, obviates some of these excellent pass rushing threats, um, especially, you know, teams that have an ability to create unblocked pressure like Carolina does. Um, I think that they, especially against, you know, kind of the press corner stuff, they want to get those slants out there. They want to get um, one-on-one matchups and throw like three-step deep balls and stuff like that. So I think a lot of it is just when they adjusted, the adjustments didn't work. Uh, and so I think that's been the problem. 
Um, I think also Kirk is not taking some of the chances he should take. Like individually, he's playing very well. It's difficult to kind of criticize him too much based off of his numbers. But you take a look at the Lions game and it's like, yeah, I understand. Now they've transitioned to too high safety. Um, and that typically means you don't want to throw the deep ball. But like you're you're going through your reads when really you should be kind of evaluating whether or not your players are open. Like I understand that when, you know, the cloud corner decides to take away the corner route on smash that, you know, you don't want to throw that corner route makes a ton of sense, but, but you should throw it when it's open and he doesn't do that. And so um, that's been a little bit of the issue too, is that he's missing some opportunities. He's not making mistakes in terms of where he's going with the ball, but rather he's not taking enough of a chance when opportunities exist. So they don't have the explosive offense that they've had in the past and they're not winning those plays they won in those first three games to make those smaller plays work out for them. I was watching the Browns game, the coaches tape, and you might remember this, but, and I'm not sure if this was Cousins' fault or the protection, but there was one play where KJ Osborne was like streaking down the field wide open. And I think yeah. he got pressure and he kind of moved off it and he kind yeah. of underthrew him. Um, are those the type of throws that you expect the quarterback to make? Or is that just like a breakdown of protection? Yeah, I think I remember Osborne was in the end zone by the end of that play. Um, so it would have been nice to, to be able to throw that. Um, unless we're talking about two different plays, it's entirely possible, right? That, that Osborne well, no, was This was over. like kind of like you're, they were backed up in their own territory. I think it was like a three-by-one uh, formation and Osborne was like the inside receiver and he just ran like a vertical route down the field. And Okay, uh, so this had happened multiple times then. Uh, it was against the Browns, sorry. Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, uh, that, so in that situation, I think it is kind of a, a protection thing. Cousins does move off that first read, but typically if he gets a one-on-one, um, he'll like to throw it. Um, if it's a three by one, the one is always kind of the alert. And so, um, he might just do a quick check and move on. So that might be what, what happened there. Um, but you know, if he does get a one-on-one, especially on third down, he does like to throw it unless, you know, the pressure is forcing him to go to a quicker route. So I think that that's, probably what happened in that case where there's um where there's a, a breakdown in in protections and i don't know sometimes when he's on the move he's got a great arm and sometimes when he's on the move he doesn't like i think uh last week uh against the lions um he correctly threw uh on the run he was moving up in the pocket not out but he's moving up on the run and he threw to Mackenzie alexander or not Mackenzie alexander sorry um he threw to dd westbrook um, and Westbrook was kind of open in the end zone, but he threw it short and his mechanics weren't all there and the ball just kind of died. And it's pretty weird. So sometimes against pressure, he just doesn't have it. And sometimes he does. It's, it's very weird how some of his off platform throws will end up working out. So, um, yeah, I think in that situation, it's probably kind of a pressure, uh, problem, uh, where he kind of wants to move on quickly, but I would like for him to be able to throw that for sure. And Speaking about the protection, uh, you wrote a really good piece kind of breaking down the rotation that occurred between uh, first-round rookie Christian Dersaw and uh, the other left tackle who's been starting games, uh, Rashad Hill. Uh, What's the situation at that position like? Because I feel like, I don't know, I I personally don't like rotation. Carolina was in the same boat. They're doing some crazy stuff on their offensive line where they're moving the really good right tackle at the left side and putting a rookie who played left tackle to the right side. Um, <laughs> and, but I don't know, like uh, for you, like what did you see from Darisaw that uh, kind of gives you some hope or do you expect like a rotation to continue for this week? I imagine, so I'll answer the second question first. I imagine that there's going to be a rotation this week. I don't think 
Derisaw did enough to secure the starting left tackle job. Um, and, you know, the problem, of course, for teams is they have to balance the needs of developing the long-term capabilities of the roster while still winning the game that week. And so throwing out somebody who may not be ready um, could really hurt you, especially for the Vikings who don't have wins to spare. So um, that, I think, is the issue. So for Derisaw, what I saw was somebody that was unaccustomed to the speed of the game. Um, actually, it's kind of funny. In that article you wrote, I said it was somewhat understandable and someone in the comments was like really upset about the use of the term somewhat. It should be completely understandable uh, in their opinion. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I get what you're getting at. I sympathize with Derisa, but he's out there. So it's not understandable, like, right? Like he's like Cousins is going to get hit. They're not going to, the pass rusher is not going to pass rush on a curve, right? So like, no, uh, it's, it's very weird. But um, I think that it's encouraging that if the primary problems are his adaptation to the speed of the game, that is more likely than not. I never want to be definitive when I say something like this, but that is more likely than not um, to be resolved with more time on the field. Uh, you know, he's clearly stronger and he has better anchor, more importantly, than uh, Rashad Hill. And Hill's biggest issue, especially late in games, has been that his pads pop up high. Uh, Zimmer's even called this out in pressers. And uh, when it's that obvious, right, because typically what happens is if Zimmer says something about a player Typically, that player has heard that feedback in some form, either from him or from his personal coaches or his position coaches, three or four times before then. Um, it's, it's kind of, I imagine, somewhat of a pattern for Zimmer to when he does have that kind of criticism. And sometimes he'll just fire from the hip. But when he has that criticism, for that to be a well-known issue for that player already. And if he can't correct that, especially late in games when you know your focus kind of drags a little bit, um, he'll get bowled over just like he did on the sack that Trey Flowers took away from him. So uh, that is not an issue that I saw from Derisaw, which, you know, in fairness also matches his college tape where he has pretty good anchor against bull rushes. Um, that's nice to see. He also seems to have better functional athleticism in some respects. Like I think if they were to race Rashad Hill it would be faster, but I think for the purposes of like getting to the second level and blocking a linebacker, I trust Derisaw to do that more. Um, so I think that fundamentally his tools are better um, and that he's got a wider range of tools to deal with a wider range of types of pass rushers. Um, but he just has to realize that those players are going to be on him way faster than he seems to expect um, because all of his mistakes in that game were quick. They occurred very quickly. And that to me is an indication that, you know, he was not prepared to deal with how quickly that cross chop was coming or how quickly, you know, the inside move was coming or, or whatever. So um, that is encouraging in the sense that that could be resolved eventually. I don't know if it's going to get resolved in the week leading up to the Panthers game, especially against, you know, a fairly good pass rush. Oh no, for sure. Um, yeah. I, I was a huge Darisaw fan before the draft and uh, I know a lot of our followers uh, follow ACC football pretty closely. So they were uh, kind of, hoping that if they did trade back, he would be an option. And um, I mean, yeah, I hope his career trajectory goes pretty smoothly. Um, but let's kind of transition out to your run game. Um, you know, Dalvin Cook has been sort of limited and out of the lineup. The past, I know he played a little bit against the Browns, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and last week, was it Matt, was Madison like the primary running back? Yeah, he was the essentially the only running back. I mean, Amir okay. Abdullah was like out there. I think he had one carry, but yeah, it was Madison. So do you, I mean, I was just looking at the Vikings injury report. It looks pretty lengthy on yeah. a Wednesday, but it's a novel. <laughs> it, it could obviously change um, by Friday, of course. Uh, so do one, do you expect Dalvin to be healthy? And two, 
are they kind of still following the traditional Kubiak outside zone, inside zone kind of running scheme? Yeah. Um, so again, second question first, uh, cause it's easier to answer. Uh, the Vikings run zone more often than any other team in the NFL. Um, so yes. Uh, now there is more inside zone than outside zone. Relatively speaking, I think it's still primarily an outside zone team, but uh, there has been more inside zone recently. They are mixing in a, you know, some power concepts, but they run zone more than any other team in the NFL. I think it's like 72% last time I checked. So, um, yes, that's who they are. Uh, which the Panthers seem like purpose built to stop. Um, so it's a little bit worrisome there, but, um, as for Dalvin cook's availability, were I to bet, if I was given even odds and I was like forced to bet some amount of money, I would bet that he would play, um, maybe on a pitch count, maybe not, but I bet that he would play, but it is fairly uncertain. And that's kind of why I framed it like that. Um, Dalvin cook was a game time decision last week. Like he warmed up before the game, um, until a couple of minutes into warmups, it, something wasn't going. And so, um, he didn't go. So given how close he was to playing last week, the fact that he didn't practice this week doesn't really concern me from that perspective. Like it concerns me generally speaking, or I guess he was limited, but you know, for the most part, you know, for him, that usually doesn't mean a ton of participation in practice. Um, it, it's concerning like largely, but in terms of whether or not I think he'll play, I think he'll play. The plan last week was that if he did play, he was going to be on somewhat of a pitch count. Do you see more of a committee approach? Um, I imagine that heading into this week, that that's going to be the plan, um, which I mean, I mean, he is a better back than Madison. So it, like to, to the extent that running backs matter, right. Um, it would be a, a pretty substantial uh, improvement in the running game. were Dalvin cook healthy. Panthers fans, football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet for Panthers tickets anymore, because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? Well, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. Look, there's storylines all over the place for the Panthers this year at Bank of America Stadium. Between the offense clicking, the defense playing lights out, be there to see it all. Visit TickPick.com Roar today and use the promo code Roar to save $10 on your first order of Panthers tickets. That's TickPick.com Roar, promo code Roar. Turning uh, defensively for Minnesota now, obviously that's uh, Mike Zimmer's baby. That's his bread and butter. Uh, hey, look, they're getting pressure. I mean, Daniil Hunter has got 10 quarterback hits, six sacks. Everson's got four. I want to start there. You know, Carolina obviously is a sieve right now up front, particularly inside with your friend Pat Elfline coming back off injury oh, at yeah. Viking Center who played very well in 2017. But, man, he's been a spot of bother here. They're, they're just a mess offensively right now up front. Darnold is, is having issues with processing as a result of that. Talk to us about where you see this matchup heading. I Personally, I think Minnesota in terms of what Zimmer can do and their talent up front can give Carolina problems here. Yeah, I, I think Donald's going to be sore um, by, by – like I, like, I don't know how else to put it. Um, I think the Panthers are last or second to last in every pass protection category, um, whether it's quick wins or pressure rate or PFF grade or what have you. It is not looking good from that perspective. 
Uh, and the Vikings um, are, are, no, are no Browns from that perspective, but they're pretty good at rushing the passer, um, especially now that Everson Griffin is playing like Griffin. Um, so with that in mind, I would imagine that um, there's going to be a fair amount of quarterback hits. The, the issue is that Hunter's sack production is disproportionate to his pressure production. So at some point, his sack production will tick down. Like he is not pressuring uh, quarterbacks as often. As, uh, as the sack numbers would imply. So that's kind of the concern. But the Vikings are really good at crafting these pressure packages, especially with Anthony Barback. You know, he rushes the passer probably not more than uh, more than a lot of blitzing linebackers, like not more than Dante Hightower, although that was once the case. But he's a threat to rush the passer on every play, and that affects protections. And so that gives the one-on-ones to Griffin and Hunter that, that help them out a lot. Um, so I would imagine that that's going to be kind of the core of how the Vikings – if they win and if they win defensively, that would be probably how they win because, um, you know, Patrick Peterson's playing out of his mind, but generally speaking, I don't think the back end can hold with the skill position players that, that Carolina has. So um, I, I think that given kind of the, the struggles that Carolina's had protecting the passer, that that's going to be a big focus for how the Vikings uh, attack that offense for sure. And I think that they'll be successful. You got a little bit of criticism back in March when the Vikings signed uh, Delvin Tomlinson. <laughs> yes, uh, I did. <laughs> it was funny to read some of the comments, but what has been like the dynamic on the interior of the defensive line? Because, uh, you know, Pierce came back, they signed Sheldon Richardson late in the process as well. Uh, how are they kind of divvying up snaps there? And I think one of their guys they drafted a few years ago, Armani Watts is also seeing some pretty good snaps too. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, the biggest question here is whether or not Michael Pierce will be healthy. He didn't get to play last week. Um, he's been outstanding. Uh, he's been a better pass rusher than the Vikings expected and certainly better than I expected uh, from the nose position, um, better than he was with Baltimore. And he was um, you know, primarily a run stuffer, but he was a very good nose tackle for Baltimore. Um that that aspect being gone has softened the interior from both the pass rush and a run defense perspective. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson has been fine. Um, I would say he's probably not playing up to his contract. I think his PFF grade is good, but like, I think he's not been playing up to his contract and, you know, it's, it's easy to, you know, evaluate uh, a defensive lineman by like tackles and pressures and stuff. And maybe that's not what their job is. And maybe that's an incorrect form of evaluation, but even when you take into account, you know, how he's been able to force uh, runners to bounce out of his gap, how he's been able to squeeze lanes and all of these other soft things that don't show up um, in, in the box score. I would say that he has performed a lot better than the Vikings defensive tackles from last year. But remember that was like Shamar Stefan and a bunch of people who weren't on rosters now, um, but not up to, to the level of the contract. And he's not been able to produce pressure. Like one of the things the Vikings assured us when he was signed, I think maybe in response to that article is that he knows how to rush the pass. He's a very good pass rusher. His pass rushing numbers are good. His pass rushing technique is good. He's got good athletic tools for that sort of thing. And we just haven't seen it. Like I, I would have liked to have seen it um, more. And, and they've been saved a little bit from the fact that Michael Pierce has been a surprisingly good pass rusher. Without Michael Pierce, that interior pass rush kind of went away a little bit. Um, Sheldon Richardson is a good sub package player. And it looks like they want to keep him that way because even with Michael Pierce out, they didn't kick Tomlinson inside all that much to play nose tackle, even though he's played more snaps in his career at nose than at the three technique position. Um, they actually just moved uh, Armand Watts to uh, that nose tackle position. And he's a hybrid three technique nose tackle as well. And so he is not as good of a run stuffer at the nose as you would expect, but he's been a decent pass rusher 
at the nose position. Um, so that dynamic has been kind of unusual in that the players that the Vikings wanted to promote as pass rushers um, have not been rushing the pass for as well as they should be, whereas the ones that aren't promoted as pass rushers have been doing a fairly good job of that. Um, but without Michael Pierce there, and who knows if he'll be available this week, I think that there's some chance that he could be. Um, I, I think that it is going to be kind of a difficult interior situation for them because either – uh, you know, they'll run up the middle and they'll run at Armin Watts or Sheldon Richardson, who played a couple of no snaps, which is kind of funny, or uh, they'll be able to, to pass without seeing much pressure from uh, Dalvin Tomlinson. So um, that's been kind of that situation. Um, again, Tomlinson has been fine. I don't think he's playing up to his contract, but the idea was that you'd have two nose tackle capable guys playing in the middle, stuffing the run, and then not being on the field on third down, forcing a third and long and allowing them to rush the passer. And they just haven't been good enough against the run to kind of realize that vision. I want to transition out to your secondary where it seems like hasn't been – a few of them at least have taken to Twitter to disp- express <laughs> some so views, I guess, now. Yeah. on how they feel. Uh, but, I mean, Peterson, in my mind, I, I think he's been excellent. I know he's gotten – um, you know, memed a few times, such as, you know, on that Rondale Moore catch right before halftime, he kind of didn't that really That one was him. weird. Yeah, I don't even know if that was on him, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I guess a few people, I know Cardinals fans were just like, oh, look at this guy, he's quit, whatever. But, um, and then, you know, there was that one route that DK Metcalf ran on him. Uh, An astounding you know, route. I didn't know DK had it in him. <laughs> but for the most part, I mean, the larger sample, he's been one of the better corners in the league. And I think he's obviously played up to his contract uh, I mean, let's just start with Peterson. Like, what are they doing? Is he like kind of just sort of isolated on one side and taking, you know, control? I know Zimmer's coverages are a lot more complex than that, but right. um, what, do you, what have you seen from him that's kind of allowed him to flourish this year? It's interesting. For like three weeks, I've been attempting to write a Patrick Peterson article where I'm just like, hey, let's break down Patrick Peterson. Is he playing as well as kind of the numbers are implying that he's playing, which, you know, the numbers are, are quite good in terms of like yards allowed and stuff like that. Um, especially like yards per snap in coverage. He's doing a, a fairly excellent job, especially if the Rondale Moore thing isn't on him. And if it's just like, you know, it's like a seven second play, it could just be a broken coverage. Right. And if you take that away, I mean, he's playing phenomenally year long. Um, I, and, and I haven't been able to, because there's always been a better story to write. Like Derisaw finally took some stuff. I got to write about that. Right. So um, I've been taking a fair look at um, a lot of snaps that Peterson has taken and uh, the, the things I've concluded are first that the Vikings play a lot more zone than they used to, first of all. Um, and, it, and like you said, it's more complex than that. They play zone match where um, after a certain period of time, the person that you're on, now you're just on, that's your guy. Uh, and you have to follow them through the rest of the zone or, or through the rest of the play, regardless of what happens in, in what used to be your zone. Um, and they don't do spot dropping. They do... Um, they, they do essentially um, matching on men when you get that, when you get that assignment. So um, you don't really drop to his own. And so it's kind of difficult to identify sometimes, but it is a lot of cover too, which Zimmer has made fun of in the past. Uh, and so Peterson doesn't have that many routes where he's covering someone deep downfield. And given the issues that he's had in, in Arizona with the amount of speed that he's able to bring to bear as a man coverage corner, that seems to be kind of the right solution there. Um, but it also allows him to kind of overstate his numbers because if he's not covering receivers that deep that often, 
uh, and he doesn't have to deal with deep targets, which are the most efficient type of target in the NFL, he's not going to give up that many yards per, per, per snap and coverage. He's playing very well, but they're not asking him to do as much as you might expect somebody with his status and contract to do. Um, so there is that. And the other part of that is that Bashad Breland, uh, last week he was fine, but Bashad Breland, for the most part, has been playing so poorly that I, like, why would you target Patrick Peterson? Right. Like, um, and it was kind of interesting because some of the receivers that Peterson has lined up against are some of the most targeted receivers as a percentage of their team's target share in the NFL. Like DeAndre Hopkins led the league in target share last year. Right. And he lined up against Peterson a lot and he only had four targets. Right. DK Metcalf, same thing, especially when Tyler Lockett was injured, you know, three quarters of the way into the game. Um, and so you'd expect to see DK Metcalf get a lot of targets. I think he only had something like four targets, right? Um, so there is something he's doing where quarterbacks that typically like those receivers will choose will choose the the lesser matchup, as it were, uh, from their perspective. They'll choose their second or third receiver against the Vikings' second quarterback because the the delta or the difference in talent seems to be um, that much more extraordinary. So um, part part of the reason his numbers are good is because Peterson is doing something well within his capabilities. He's a really smart zone corner, like tremendously smart and instinctive, which obviously was not his MO coming out, um, but is now something that he can do really remarkably well. But then the second part of that is that it just makes more sense to isolate the other matchup you have on the other side of the field, which also I think means that Breland's numbers are a little bit worse than his level of play just because he sees so many targets. But still, um, that's an issue that the Vikings will have to find a way to clean up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I actually thought Dantzler played pretty well in run support. I don't know how much that matters to Zimmer against it the Browns. It matters a lot, but like, yeah, and, and he was really good in run support in the snaps that he had. The the issue here is the reason Dancer is behind Breland and for a while was also behind Chris Boy. He was like the fourth string corner, um, is because uh, first he was getting burned in camp and in practices a lot. Breland was just playing better, so it was just a better move. But second, um, you you need to always understand what the handoffs are and when those handoffs occur in zone, right? And so when a receiver crosses, you you have to understand your assignment and not blow your coverages. So that's primarily kind of an issue that'll keep you out uh, if you're if you're inconsistent about your ability to kind of pick up on your assignments. So he can play well individually, especially when matched man on man. Um, but you put him up against a, a speedy receiver. I'd rather have Breland there. And if you put him in a complex coverage, you'd rather have Breland there. And then fundamentally, if those two things are true, you'd probably just rather have Breland in there. So Dancer played well within what he's been asked to do, kind of similar to, to Peterson. But what he's being asked to do is not replicable across a full season is the problem. All right, I got you there. I want to close out here speaking because Zimmer has a lot of experience playing close games. I know last year they had a decent amount. Some of them were really weird, such as that Panthers game, and I think it was a Jaguars game too. Stop talking about that game, Billy. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) No, because the reason – Jeremy Chen outscoring our own offense. I mean – just let's stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was such a weird game. I don't even oh, want to man. relive it because the BB uh, game. Yeah, th- I mean, th- there was a game. I think it was. Like, oh two- my god! It was. Uh, two- that is embarrassing. I will say that. <laughs> um, but no, the reason I ask is because how do you evaluate game management decisions? Because this is an area that Matt Rule is really bad in, and I- I'm not just talking about like Careful asking him to go for go for it on fourth down every time, but. I was listening to your podcast and you mentioned how second and one or second and short, at least is like one of the most like 
uh, the best downs you could have I mean, a lot, as long as you're not like running or doing a QB sneak, but they've done like multiple QB sneaks on second and one. It's just baffling to me. Um, but taken as a whole, like how do you evaluate kind of Zimmer's like game management and how do you evaluate just in general? Because you mentioned some of their close losses could be just because of variance, not necessarily related to his clock management or some of his decision-making. Um, I guess like what's your kind of just perspective on that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of ways to do it. And I think you kind of have to fold all of those in. Um, some of it has to do with clock management, which is a subset of game management, but usually kind of what people think of when you say it. Uh, and, and Zimmer does a fairly poor job of that. Uh, he tries to manage the clock. I think a little bit too early in drives, for example, um, like a, a, a three minute situation where you need one score to win. Um, you have to balance the need for urgency with the need to, to run the clock and not allow a, a, a response drive. And that's a very difficult situation for a lot of coaches and it's difficult just kind of in general. Um, but they will attempt to drain the clock early and then hurry up at the end, which is baffling to me because I would much rather be in a situation where I get to control um, the clock in kind of the most critical situation later on, because if you try to drain the clock early with less efficient plays, now you're being forced uh, to go for it on fourth and eight, right. Or something along those lines. Uh, and then kind of move your way to manage the clock. Whereas if you attempt to just kind of get downfield first and foremost, you give yourself a lot of opportunity to then begin to manage the clock. Um, and so I think that that's kind of just a sequencing error that sometimes occurs with the Vikings. Um, this last week we asked why the Vikings uh, decided to run the ball right away. Um, when they got the ball back at the end of the second half with about 40 seconds to go or something like that. Uh, and they started off with a run and it's like, well, if you're doing that, why don't you just kneel? Like, at least you won't fumble, which, you know, later on they did. Um, and, and he said, and this, and he said this before too, like, this is a consistent theme. He said this like three years ago, right. Is that they like to start off with a run in those situations. And if the run doesn't work out, they'll drain the clock. And if the run does work out, they'll attempt to score. And that is insane to me. That's like deranged. Like what, what, hundred percent agree. <laughs> like I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and he even started off that answer. I don't know if you saw, he started off that answer with, I shouldn't need to explain myself with this one. And we're like, dog, you've been outscored 44 to 10 in the final five minutes of the second quarter this year, 44 to 10 in 25 minutes. Like, dude, <laughs> like you do, you absolutely need to explain yourself. That's the 88 to 20 single game. Like, can you imagine that over the course of a full game? So like, yeah, I, uh, sorry, it's just going off on a, on no, a please. That's not, and I think Zimmer's a good coach. That's the worst part, right? Is that these are catastrophic errors. And fundamentally he's like probably a good coach. It's hard to go like, 590 or whatever he is right now with like five different quarterbacks like so i sympathize like with the bonding experience by the way i feel like we're all coming together here with the coach yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> so many common threads with game management timeouts it's just this is very 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 cathartic here uh, very, very oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and zimmer uh he might now actually but he very often did not take that timeout before the two minute that you should be taking because you get that free you know that kind of stuff right where right. it's like you play a lot of Madden and you realize that yeah. that timeout is actually much better before the two minute than after the two minute when you're 14. I mean, come on now. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, also sometimes they don't realize that it's like much easier to manage the clock when you have the ball than when they have the ball. Right. And so you waste your timeouts uh, or you try to save your timeouts when they have the ball. And it's like, no, you should use the timeouts when they have it. Cause they'll attempt to drain the clock 
and then you get it with two minutes left and you can clock it or you can throw it out of bounds or you could do whatever you want because you have control of the ball and therefore you've control of the clock, that kind of stuff. Right. And I feel like he's learned that one, but that was kind of a, a long time coming in terms of lessons. Uh, I think that they think about multiple score situations the wrong way. I remember when they were down uh, 16 points to the saints uh, a couple years ago and, and they drained like nine minutes off the clock uh, in, in one of their drives to, and they scored. Right. And I asked about it. I was like, dude, why'd you do that? Like, that sounds dumb as hell. And they were like, well, it's a two score situation. And it's like, yeah, 16 points is technically a two. Are you kidding me right now? Like, what if you don't, you have a 25% chance of getting both of those two point conversions, right? Assuming you score both times, like that's nuts. Like treat it like a three score game. My God, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. It's right. Crazy. Um, so like, yeah, um, a lot of game management stuff. I think obviously Zimmer's uh, insistence on running the ball a little bit more um, that I think falls into game management because it, it affects your, your play calling and the, the way that you manage everything else in the game. That's an issue. Um, he's gotten better at challenges, uh, but that used to be a pretty big issue where you challenge kind of all the time without a ton of evidence. Um, and he still, and he still challenges under the assumption that the refs will attempt to get the right call when the actual assumption is the refs will um, default to the call on the field. Uh, and like, that's a problem. Um, he doesn't really judiciously use challenges as much. I mean, he's better at it than he used to be, but it's still a problem where he doesn't see if a challenge is worth it. Um, so for example, uh, there was a deep ball, uh, I think it was against Cincinnati, a deep ball um, to Justin Jefferson and uh, Jefferson was called down at the one and it looked like he had gotten in. And looking at the replay, I thought it is probable that Justin Jefferson scored a touchdown here. I would not throw the flag because your odds of being able to score a touchdown from the one yard line are higher than your odds of getting this challenge from the refs. Right. And he doesn't think like that. Most coaches don't, they just think, am I right or am I not? But you have to challenges are pretty precious. So, and, and so are timeouts. Right. Um, So those are a lot of of the issues that I have with the way that he manages games um, is that he doesn't really think about timeouts the right way. He doesn't think about challenges in a way that kind of helps advance the team. Um, but man, I mean, guy, he's got the best third down defense in history. So that's worth a lot too. No, absolutely. And the reason I ask is like, I feel like this game is going to be close and it's up to those. Oh yeah. Someone's going to be pissed off at the end. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, last year, I mean that I learned a lot just because of how, you know, if you're up three, you should go for it on fourth and goal and not attempt to throw it to, you know, obviously DJ Moore was wide open in that situation. You don't know that when you call the the field goal on fourth and goal and Cousins just exactly. No, I agree. And I I just feel like at that point, you should still probably go for it because you're giving Minnesota the ball like at what the three yard line. They got to, I don't know, just like, I feel like their um, kind of perspective changes. Like they're not going to be kind of as aggressive maybe in that situation, but I I don't know. I I just feel like, you know, a lot of their game management issues, it's just much more common sense stuff. And a lot of people have been calling them out for it. And then, in a game like this where I feel like both teams are kind of um, in, a, in a similar tier maybe, uh, it's, it's going to be pretty big. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I, I, I would not be shocked if at the end of the game uh, it's someone's game management decision that's going to be the, the defining talking point. And then we're all going to get that email from Edge Sports that talks about the biggest game-winning errors from coaches. And I feel like one of the two coaches will end up on that <laughs> list. 
Oh yeah, for sure. If not no. both. I mean, against the Cardinals, both coaches ended up, I think the top five, all five of them that week were from the Vikings Cardinals coaching staff. I mean, that was just a bonkers game to begin with. I mean, so yes. I, I'm not surprised. Um, Arif, is there anything you want to plug or shout out before you head out? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, Billy, you're going to be on uh, the North Code podcast. We're going to record that tomorrow. It's going to be released Thursday night, Friday morning. Um, so definitely uh, pay attention to that when I ask about the Panthers. Uh, in addition to that, uh, head over to theathletic.com slash author slash reef dash and find my work there. Uh, also, if you're not subscribed, do subscribe. I think it's good work, but especially subscribe after clicking on one of my stories because I get credit for that. <laughs> and also <laughs> follow me on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. Uh, that's, I think that's about it. Yeah. All right. Thank you. It's Arif Hassan, everyone. And uh, that's it for us tonight.